I'd love to see this proposal go through, but I'd also love to see a resurgence of interest in how can we make JavaScript more ergonomic, whether that's making it so that translation is required in just fewer scenarios instead of no scenarios, pasting into the dev console in your browser. Should that strip type annotations? I don't see a good case against it, you know? Exactly how that works is a technical detail, and we can talk about that. If Node understands TypeScript in some capacity, should I have to run some tool before running Node on some file? Like, once you kind of imagine this world, it's hard to be like, well, why don't we just have that world today just based on the tooling that's on our dev machines? Because ultimately, this is a dev tool. It's a thing for the developer experience. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Raygun. They give software teams instant visibility into the quality and the performance of their software. And I am here with John Daniel Trask, co-founder and CEO of Raygun. JD, from what I understand, Raygun is founded by nerds. So you at least accept the term nerds. Is that a good name to describe you and the rest of the team who created Raygun? Oh, absolutely. Even the folks that don't write software, they're nerds in their own own categories, right? They're passionate about it. They love everything about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm a mixture of a business and software nerd. Yeah. Like those two domains, love them to bits. Well, that's that intersection too that makes interesting what you've done at Raygun. So why did you even create the business? Like how did you decide to make this your thing? So I started coding when I was about nine years old and got my first proper job in, in 2004 after university. And my business partner today and I, we used to deliver software, which frankly um, was pretty high quality. And we looked back at what did we do to achieve that. And one of the things we did was we would always email every single error to ourselves. And that just meant that we could fix things before the customer could even contact us. And so we were like constantly impressing people with the quality of what we were shipping. Fast forward a few years later, we built the business and we decided to build a product around that whole workflow that was a lot better than just juggling your inbox. And it turns out that's a model that a lot of developers and a lot of businesses have found very, very effective for increasing their, their software quality without letting down the users. Very cool. All right, head to raygun.com to learn more and start your free 14-day trial. No credit card is required. Join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every day to deliver flawless experiences to their customers. Again, raygun.com. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Subscribe to the pod at jsparty.fm and follow the show on Twitter. We're at jspartyfm. Big thanks to our partners at Fastly for serving up our episodes super fast wherever you listen. Check them out at fastly.com. Okay, let's do this. It's party time, y'all. Hoy hoy, JS Party. Ahoy hoy. Welcome. I'm Nick Nisi, and I'm your host today. And with me today, I have Chris Hiller, aka Bone Skull. How's it going, Chris? Super. How are you? What's up in the morning? Oh, it's morning. It's awesome. Every time I say Bone Skull, I always want to say like say it like Bone Saw from the Spider-Man One movie. You know, like Bone Saw is ready. I don't know Spider-Man. No, I do know World of Warcraft. <laughs> Where in Wrath of the Lich King, one of the bosses would say, Bone Storm! And that made me happy every time it happened. <laughs> awesome. Well, there's lots of uh, lore to explore with that. <laughs> All right. And we have two special guests with us today. We have Daniel Rosenwasser. Daniel, how's it going? 
Hi, not too bad. Yourself? Good, good. Welcome. And we also have Ryan Kavanaugh. Ryan, how's it going? Good, good. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here as well. And I didn't mention it, but you were both on the TypeScript team. And I'm always ready to talk about TypeScript on this podcast. So I'm very excited to have you here. It's a very exciting day. But we're going to be talking about a little bit about TypeScript and also about sort of types coming to JavaScript in a way. And we'll, we'll explore that more. But uh, first, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves? Sure. My name is Daniel Rosenwasser, and uh, basically been on the TypeScript team for about eight years now, which time really flies. I started off as an engineer, and I've been the PM for the last six years or so because I just love working with the community and just have a lot of fun with it as well. Yeah, and in general, I'm just a big fan of programming languages, type systems, runtimes, things like that. It's all kind of tickles my brain, I guess. I don't know. That's a weird way to say it, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's definitely a unique and, um, you know, unique from like, you know, typical like web app development or even application development, like developing the language there is just takes a, a different kind of person to really dig into that. And we're all benefiting from it. A lot of people in the JS community are just really geeking out on like the specific tools these days. So I don't know, we're seeing more and more of that, but maybe we're not such different creatures. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, Ryan, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Ryan Kavanaugh. I've been on TypeScript for, um, I think it's like 10 years now. Worn a bunch of different hats. I started out doing some testing on TypeScript, and then I did some data stuff. And uh, for the past three and a half years now, I've been the, the dev lead for the team. And much like Daniel, I love JavaScript. I love types. Uh, I love programming languages and uh, just have a ton of fun with it. Awesome. We're happy to have both of you here to talk about that. And so let's catch up with TypeScript. Since I mentioned we've never had you on before, tell us what's going on in TypeScript right now. What isn't going on in TypeScript right now? <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to recount so many of the things that kind of go into every release, right? Like mm -hmm. some languages go out every year, every couple of years, and like they have some really high level great features and whatnot. We go out like three times a, or sorry, four times a year, every like three months or so. And there's always new stuff to talk about. And so, I mean, it, it always helps to kind of break it down into like the sort of buckets of what we focus on. So like there's like the type system innovation sort of aspect of it. And that's like, do we make inference better? Do we make analyses better? Right. Things like that. Mm -hmm. There's the adding whatever gets added to JavaScript aspect of it. Like so if something new comes in ECMAScript, then we add that. There are editor features. So like a lot of people don't realize it, but basically whenever like we're talking about the TypeScript team working on TypeScript, we're talking about not just like the TypeScript compiler, the, ty the type checker. It's also the same experience that powers your editor experience, which also means that like things like refactoring, completions, all that stuff is powered by us. Yeah. The language server. And the cool thing about that is also that we also power up the JavaScript experience too. So like anything that we do there is going to benefit JavaScript users, even if you don't care about types remotely, right? So like from the editor side, for example, we've got like two new quality of life improvements. Um, I feel like maybe we should jump back and forth so I'm not just hogging up this one. I don't know, Ryan, do you want to speak to a couple of these at all? Well, what are they? What are they, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's the organized imports improvements that I'm thinking of. Ah, uh, yes. Which is like just a very nice. Anyway, I'll let you do it. Uh, and then also just like improved completions for for objects. 
They've got new functionality around keeping your imports organized in the way that you sort of set them out. So the thing that people keep running into is they have like some import that like needs to go first because it modifies some global state and then they have some subsequent imports which can go in whatever order and usually when it's when it's arbitrary people like it to be sorted according to you know the file name or whatever. So the, the new cool feature is um, instead of having weird comments we're just going to say if you have an empty line between some block of imports, then we'll sort those groups of imports independently. So that makes it really natural to just sort of keep your imports uh, in the in the order that you need, except suborder'd by the order that you, I guess, don't care about. So that's really cool. The other thing we have coming in is uh, when you're writing an object literal uh, and you complete a function name, we'll fill in the parameter names for you, which is just a, a really nice quality of life feature and just save your fingers for the typing that you need to type. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, if you see the before and after, you really do feel the just the the differences, right? Like, there's small things where, like, if you add a feature to an editor, you might as well not have it if it does the wrong thing every single time because it just pisses people off. So, like, people just like having just saying, like, don't re regroup the import, don't collect them all into one squishy thing. Like, keep them in groups is one thing. Then, from the type system analysis side, there's a couple of things where, like. There's better inference within objects. There's better, we have this new thing called variance annotations, which is like pretty deep. And Ryan and I both have strong opinions about that too. So we can dive into that. <laughs> oh man, there's just too many things to like list off, like offhand, right? Like we, I, I literally have to consult the list. Yeah. And it's why like the blog posts are always like massive. So sorry about that. <laughs> Can I ask a question? No, that's much appreciated. About the like the uh, import organizing or uh, auto completion stuff. That stuff is like that's in the language server. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does the language server depend on the compiler, or is that how it works? I haven't looked. Yeah, yeah. So for people who are not uh, familiar with this concept, basically, in the last like five, ten years or so, the way that a lot of editors have started like architecturally thinking about like how do you build an editor. And then also build the thing that powers up like the language experience is like you should decouple them typically. And so what will happen is you can think of your editor as like the front end where with your like the server at the, at the, on the back end communicating and telling the editor what it should what, what should you do when you ask for completions at a specific position. Right. And so like what we learned also, at least at Microsoft, was like you shouldn't have two code bases to do different things here. Right. Like if you build type checker for, let's say, TypeScript or C-sharp or whatever, and then you have to build a language server that knows how to report the exact same errors, you're doing the same work twice and in a way that is prone to have divergences, which is great for the spec authors because they can say, like, one is right, pick the other one. But it's really bad for, like, users where you have a different experience between, like, the compiler and what actually gets surfaced. <laughs> So yeah, it's all layered for us. We build the compiler and the compiler leverages is leveraged in the language service. And then the server talks to the, the editor there. Not to keep going, but the other big thing that landed, which I really don't know how to slip my mind, was the, the Node ESM functionality that we're shipping on Flagged in 4.7 beta right now. So we can talk to that a little bit too. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, like, it's been hard, honestly, to keep up with the uh, where yes modules are at right now. I, I don't write Node a lot day to day, but it's it's hard to keep up. So do you want to elaborate a little more on what is now being supported? 
So this is the new big family of fields that you can put in your package.json that say, this is the entry point for my module under these conditions and sort of all the associated like import paths that you can use to refer to those things. It's hard to kind of undersell it or oversell it, I guess, that it's support for the new node module resolution system and kind of up and down the entire stack. So this has effects on how like auto imports work, effects on how we emit declaration files that refer to these modules that you get into your program and just sort of general like go to definition has to go to the right place. So I don't want to just kind of enumerate all the features that Node has added to this because um, I don't know all of them and it would be pretty boring. But to our knowledge, we've supported the whole stack, the whole suite of features there, and you can now um, use them unflagged in 4.7 beta. Yeah. The thing you really have to think about is like, there are going to be libraries that ship as pure ESM, like ECMAScript modules. They might use a bunch of specific features that have been added to Node that are different from what you're used to if you've been writing Node maybe let's say five to 10 years ago, right? So you might want to be able to say like, I want to scope which specific files you can you can import from a package. I want to be able to use MJS or M, you know, or CJS as your file extension for JavaScript. And then if you're a TypeScript user, you want to be able to use MTS and, and CTS, right? And so like, these are things that are, are maybe like a lot of conceptual overhead, but whenever you need to actually use Node.ESM functionality, like you're going to need to have these things handy and like available to you, especially as a TypeScript user where like you just don't want, want a red squiggle telling you you can't do this, whereas you like you might know better. So we need to like bridge that gap and make sure it's not tough to use as much as we can, at least. Yeah, that's really cool and awesome that going forward, it's going to be much easier to support all of the, the different module resolution types in, in Node with TypeScript. Can you figure uh, TypeScript to output uh, dual modules? We have talked about that a little bit. You're talking about like, you want to have a compile that like takes your TypeScript files and emits like one folder with like ESM and one folder with CJS. I mean, I, I imagine that's just two separate builds, right? It is. I don't remember the specific state of that right now, to be honest with you. I think you can kind of control that by basically, I'd have to just sort of look into that. I mean, we're definitely not doing two outputs in one build. It would it would be separate builds, but I don't think anything right now would prevent you from setting that up. But it, it with all these things, it depends so much on the specifics of exactly what your input and desired output structure are. Yeah, I think you could get away with it with like an extra package JSON, which no one wants to do, but it's possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you said if it depends on all that that junk, like to make a a, a dual module work, you you still have to do some hacky stuff, right? So yeah, I was gonna follow up on the optional variance annotations. That seems pretty interesting, and like I guess I'm trying to understand, does it help the compiler in like? Why was it added, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. But I'm, I'm trying Why to... Why are you doing these things and making my life harder? <laughs> Did we even explain? Oh, no, I don't think it's harder at all. I think that it's interesting. And I think that being able to like annotate, you know, this is specifically the return type is very interesting. And I, I'm just wondering if there's like a use beyond that that I'm not seeing right now. Did we explain what these are? No, not here. Actually, no, we didn't. Okay, because I have no idea. When you have a type that is generic... So if you have like a, an array of strings or an array of numbers, we call those instantiations. So a generic type will have some instantiations that are effectively themselves non-generic types, right? So if you think about, let's just say like a box, like you can have a box and it can have a thing in it. 
if I give you a box of recyclables or whatever, and there's a box of food, well, the way that those boxes relate to each other relates the same way that the contents of those boxes relate to each other. So like you can't put food in the recycling bin or vice versa. I should have come up with an example that has a bit more clear real world subtyping. But anyway, we talk about this as the measured variance of that generic type. So you could think about a function that accepts an argument. Well, this actually kind of flows the other way compared to a function that returns a value. Because if I take, if I have a function that can accept a string or a number, that's more general than a function that only accepts strings. Versus a function that produces a string or number and a function that produces a string relates in, in the other direction. So when you're relating generic types and you want to figure out if like a box of T is related to a box of U, to do things performantly, you need to have shortcuts that say, instead of relating the entire structure of that generic type, we'll just relate the type arguments. We'll relate T to U when relating box of T to box of U. But to do that correctly, we have to know which direction we should do the relation in. Because if this is an input position, like a parameter, we have to do the opposite check as if it was a return type. So that's what we call the variance. And that emerges in a structural type system naturally from where the typed parameters appear in the type. So we can go and measure it, and we can get results called covariant, contravariant, invariant, and then some others that I'm definitely not going to talk about. When that measurement takes time, like uh, in some code bases, it's like a non-trivial amount of time. And also, if that measurement is different than the one you expect, it's pretty hard to debug like why it's not the one you expected. Also, if you have some type, you might want to like communicate to someone else like, hey, this type is covariant. Like, don't mess that up for me, please. So anyway, in 4.7 beta, we let you write down an annotation on these type parameters that say this generic type is covariant, contravariant, or invariant on this type parameter. We'll do a quick check to make sure that you didn't get it completely wrong. But from that point forward, we can use that annotated variance instead of having to measure it. Because when we measure it, we actually have to measure it I think up to four different ways just to see what the relation is. And yeah, I think my guidance for people would be don't do this eagerly. Um, if you're not sure what the variance annotation should be, just put this feature out of your mind. It's fine. Um, we're going to measure the right thing in like 99.9% .9 of cases anyway. It's a total power user yeah. feature, right? And for library authors mainly, I would say, right? Absolutely, yeah. I guess the other kind of motivating scenario is um, our variance measurement algorithm is very, very good, but you can actually break it under some very weird corner cases. Basically, someone found a bug in this in this algorithm that was present for, what, like four years without being noticed, maybe longer? So that kind of interesting just to observe that fact. So this lets you kind of, in the extremely rare cases where the measured variance isn't what you expect, you can fix it. This algorithm is, like Ryan said, like pretty good. There are cases where like you will end up going in a loop forever and you need to be able to have yourself say like, I need to stop at some point. And if you say this is the variance, then when you come back into yourself, you can basically say like, oh, I know what that is. The user told me stop and keep going for the rest of the thing. And that's what like other languages do. But TypeScript has always tried to not make it so that you have to do this thing. So for a user now, you don't really have to think about the concept of variance per se, like it'll come up, but the way that this feature works is you just say, am I using the T, like the type parameter in an input or an output position or both, right? 
those are the keywords that we use to describe them, right? So if you, if you use T in an input position, you just write in of T, in front of the T. If it's used in an output position, you write out T. And then if it's used in both, you say in, out, T. And so you don't have to think about, like, what is the variance? You just have to think about, like, how am I using this thing, right? That makes it a little bit easier for people to author these things as well. It's a bit of a deep dive, but <laughs> necessary evil sometimes. It seems to be a little easier to grok in the announcement. <laughs> to have the code in front of you. Yeah. The code helps a lot. It's very hard to talk about code in the abstract, but... Absolutely. <laughs> and we will definitely have a link to that in the show notes, so check that there. But I'm just excited. There's a lot of cool features coming in that. And I checked this morning, and I am I am locked at version 4.3.2 of TypeScript right now because that's what I get with Create React app at the current moment. Oh. So uh, I have a lot of exciting features coming to me when I can <laughs> get that upgraded. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Square is the platform that sellers trust. There is a massive opportunity for developers to support Square sellers by building apps for today's business needs. And I'm here with Shannon Skipper, head of developer relations at Square. Shannon, can you share some details about the opportunity for developers on the Square platform? Yeah, absolutely. So we have millions of sellers who have unique needs and Square has apps like our point of sale app, like our restaurants app, but there are so many different sellers, tuxedo shops, florists, who need specific solutions for their domain. And so we have a Node SDK written in TypeScript that allows you to access all of the backend APIs and SDKs that we use to power the billions of transactions that we do annually. And so there's this ma massive market of sellers who need help from developers. They either need a bespoke solution built for themselves on their own node stack, where they are working with Square Dashboard, working with Square Hardware, or with the Ecom, you know, what you see is what you get builder. And they need one more thing. They need an additional build. And then finally, we have the app marketplace where you can make a node app and then distribute it so it can get in front of millions of sellers and be an option for them to adopt. Very cool. All right. If you want to learn more, head to developer.squareup.com to dive into the docs, APIs, SDKs, and to create your Square Developer account. Start developing on the platform Sellers Trust. Again, that's developer.squareup.com. All right, so that's really exciting. But the main thing that we pitched you on, on coming on the show to talk about is this new proposal to JavaScript or to TC39 to uh, add, not necessarily types, but add um, a new way of exposing those types as just comments that can be ignored by the JavaScript interpreter. And I talk to you guys every year at uh, TSConf, and one of the <laughs> recurring questions I think every single year is, when is... TypeScript just going to build into the browser. Is this kind of the answer to that, finally? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, there's a lot of history with this one, right? And, like, we've always given a, 
I still think a pretty good answer overall, right? Mm -hmm. And what is that answer typically, Ryan? Because <laughs> you usually put it really well. Well, I don't remember what I say. It's like the what does it mean answer. Well, I mean, types in the browser means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Some people think that means static type checking in the browser, where before your code runs, some sort of type checking phase would occur. Some people think types in the browser means dynamic type checking. So if you write a function and say this parameter is a string, then that nothing sort of happens until an actual call into that function occurs. For some people, types in the browser just means the proposal that we're putting here, which is types as comments. And then some people have even further out ideas, I guess. I think static, dynamic, and I guess comment only is sort of the three main classes of what I think of as uh, what people mean when they say types in the browser. So I think it's a long side discussion to talk about why we think that the static types and dynamic types in the browser aren't a good fit for JavaScript. And that's sort of the attitude that we've seen from TC39, which I think we're all sort of in pretty decent agreement with, I think. And then kind of what's left is types as comments, and that's what we're going with here. I think of this as different programming languages have different ways to annotate your code that aren't used by the runtime. So, you know, Python has significant white space and JavaScript doesn't. So a good way to trick yourself if you're writing a JavaScript program is to write a like a for loop or an if or a while and put a semicolon at the end of that closing parenthesis. And then what follows is just like a statement block that runs without control flow. But like the indentation there makes it look like your code does one thing, but your code actually does something else because like indentation just isn't a part of JavaScript, whereas in Python it is, and like you would get a syntax error. Similarly, JS doc looks like kind of sort of something that's there for a machine. It's actually just there for a human, right? It's it's or or a different machine, like Clojure compiler or TypeScript with uh, with JavaScript checking on. So I think of the types as comments as being a place where JavaScript just didn't have a syntax to do the sort of thing that people what we've seen is they like to do. People like to indent their code. People like to put nicely formatted comments in their code. People like to put type annotations in their code, not just to communicate with the machine, but to communicate with other humans. And that's really what types as comments is, is a way to tell other humans how your code works. And you can have a computer check that for you or not the same way that a computer might check your indentation and say, oh, you didn't there are tools that will tell you that your indentation is wrong, according to whatever you've decided wrong means. Let me add on that for just for a bit. Like, so with the whole proposal, right? Like, there's been a, just a question of like, what is what does it mean to have types in your JavaScript? And like, we just saw like not much agreement when the when the subject matter came up like ten years ago. Oh, does it do any of the things that Ryan just mentioned? And really, what we saw is several convergences, right? Like. One, there are at least three major type checkers that looked at types and basically emitted no, no runtime checks, right? So there's no dynamic behavior there, right? TypeScript, Flow, Clojure Compiler, they all check like either type annotation syntax or comment syntax for your JavaScript. And then it interprets it as types and says, you screwed up here. And when you run it, nothing changes about that. It's still runnable JavaScript, right? And so we saw convergence there. I mean, we knew that engines would not really favor that runtime behavior of like checking your types. And then what we also kind of figured was like, okay, well, even if we kind of are convinced of this, we're not sure that we have sufficient buy-off from like the broader JS community, the JavaScript committee, things like that. And 
what we saw more of was like confidence in like the existing approaches, confidence in the type systems, confidence in how this could work and prove itself out. This idea, right, with at least the types of comments proposal was like, your types are literally, you can think of them as comments, right? You can imagine if they were all, all raced away, they don't have any, any impact on running your code. They're purely a design time thing for type checkers. So they can like read your code and do some type checking and report some errors, but you could just plug that right in, like something like your TypeScript syntax, like your flow syntax, like whatever, into a browser and then just have that run and the browser would not do any of those checks at all, right? In fact, it, it wouldn't be mandatory not to do that in any way. And so this is something where we were not like totally bought off on it ourselves in some way either, because it's like, okay, well, there is this sort of uncanny valley of like, I've written my code in such a way where like, oh, you've said that this thing takes a string, but you're passing in a number. And my JavaScript runtime is just not going to do anything to validate that at all. feels really weird. And that kind of goes back to like what Ryan was saying, which is like, you could, you could literally write your code in any way. You could write a comment that says this thing takes a string and that comment is totally out of date or like someone's using it wrong. And so when you see that code, you're like, ah, someone's screwed up. Like, how do they miss the comment here? It's like, well, okay, wouldn't it be great if something checked that for you? And so like your runtime your JavaScript runtime is not going to do that, right? That would be un unreasonable. No one would say, like, you should read the comments and, and make sure you're doing the right thing every time. It's the same thing with type annotation. So basically, that's what we mean when we say types as comments, right? They just act as comments and they don't have any runtime effect. Now, that said, we presented this thing called types as comments at TC39, which is the standards committee for JavaScript, a couple of weeks ago, actually. And it moved to stage one with a caveat, with a caveat that it get renamed to type annotations. Interesting. This is a thing where calling it types as comments, it was a little catchy at first, but now it's, it's probably better named as type annotations. I like the name better. It sounds a little bit more like what we're actually trying to get, <laughs> like what we're actually thinking about. And the caveat was, well, okay, yes, you come into this discussion with a set of opinions about how this feature should work, we should still discuss why those have their merits, right? So like the idea of these types having no runtime impact at all whatsoever is still something that like probably should be discussed in committee instead of just being proposed as like, yes, we're, we're already like dismissing that. That was something that we got some feedback on as well. So we will have that discussion. We do feel pretty strongly that that's not the right way to go about it. But like, you know, nothing comes easy. You have to talk these things out and and understand like why one has benefits and the other might or might not. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're kind of at right now. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of specifics and caveats and nits. I don't know if there's, I don't know, any aspect of it that like is worth diving deeper into or, or things that are on your mind. Yeah, I have a list of questions, but maybe let's start with just exactly what it is. So from my understanding, it's just like adding in this almost, not necessarily white space, but this space between a colon and something else to add in whatever you want. Right. Is that correct? Or, or what are the limitations of it right now? It is a carve out for type systems, right? So it's, it's kind of like what you say, right? So the idea is like, take a look at, you know, you take a look at what TypeScript has done, what Flow has done, and 
and try to basically find a space where JavaScript could say like, I don't care about this. Type systems can take up whatever syntax they want at these specific places, right? So like you could say let x colon, and that says, now you're gonna start reading a type out. And the whole thing is like, because it's just supposed to get ignored, an engine can just go chomp, 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 until some end, and then just like throw that away. It doesn't have to care about that at all, right? And then we, we need some other stuff too, right? So like those are annotations. We need declarations too. So like interfaces and type aliases. So you say like the interface keyword, some name, some extra stuff, chomp, 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 chomp. And so like the way that we're, we're sort of thinking about this is, I mean, you need to think about like where these things start and end, right? So there's going to be like some top level steps set of things that like an engine will have to know how to parse out and then throw away. But then there's places where we need to, to be able to like grow out the type systems that exist today or a new type system should be able to like leverage the space if they want to. So let's think about like object types, for example, right? Let's say you want to add a new modifier for properties on object types, right? We could take whatever type of flow we have right now and kind of try to figure out like this combined set of syntax in between the curlies and say like, okay, whenever you say like type foo equals and then like some object type, and then you say, okay, here's how you parse out every single member of the object type. You could do that. You could say like, oh, you need to know about the read only modifier. You need to know about plus and minus for flow. You need to know about like all these other things. And instead, what we're looking at is this place where you say, okay, whenever you find braces or brackets or parentheses, you just skip through that until you find the closing brace, right? Kind of like when you have slash star with a comment, you just skip through that and you get the star slash. So like an engine doesn't care what's in between there. It just looks for the, for the next star slash at the very end of the comment. And that's what we're leaning on to, to make sure that this thing is extensible too, right? So, so like there's some top level syntax, there's like, Top level types, right? So like you'd have names of types, like you know, identifiers, the same way that they look like at variables in JS. Maybe union types, right? So you can say string or number. And then maybe in curly braces, just whatever the hell you want to put in there. And that just works, right? And there's like caveats there too, right? Because curly braces can nest. And so like if you have curlies and then a curly and then curlies, like you can't just... You can't just stop. And so, you know, this is was a pain point for a lot of people is that comments can't nest in, in JavaScript. So like these comments nest and we will we'll have to basically support them in whatever wacky way we do. So that's one part of it. And then there's some other stuff we're looking at adding to, right? Like being able to cat, like do assertions, like say like this thing is actually a number. I know you didn't realize that, but like here's the truth of it, TypeScript mm -hmm. or type arguments and things like that. At the end of the day, just remember, though, that these things all just get erased. Yeah. Or, like, you can treat them as if they were just erasable or, or like, just comments is the idea. I want to dig into one thing that, that you mentioned. So did you say that the ability to somehow support something like type aliases or interfaces would be supported by this in terms of, like, treating them as comments? Yeah, that's what we're hoping for, right? Like, you can think of them as just metadata of, like, hey, there's a thing called a foo... A JavaScript engine doesn't have to think about that. It doesn't have to think about scoping or any of that stuff at all. You can declare 30 types with the same name. An engine should not care about that whatsoever, right? Is the ideal. 
So that's what we're writing for there. Or I guess would that reserve the interface keyword for things like that or? Probably, yeah. I mean, okay. there is some discussion around whether or not interface should be reserved for a different purpose. Mm -hmm. There's another proposal called protocols. We still think that interface is probably best suited for this a proposal like this. And to be honest with you, like the type systems have had this keyword for at least 10 years now. I don't really think that it's appropriate. I think given the number of people using TypeScript in the JS community these days, would find it really confusing to like repurpose that at that point. I hate like the argument of like, hey, this thing's already been been done by like external forces in some weird, like it probably rubs people the wrong way. And like, that was never the intent, but like it always definitely seemed to us like the obvious sort of purpose of like the interface keyword is to define an interface the way it's defined in like literally every other language. It seems like the most reasonable thing to me, to be honest, but yeah. I hope that the committee kind of follows where the, I guess, observed desire of the community is. I think the other thing to think about is like, if this proposal gets sort of whittled away by like, okay, we can't have interface, we can't have type, we can't have whatever. That's kind of fair, but I think we don't want to make something that's like, here's 60% of TypeScript or here's 65% of flow or whatever. I don't think that's going to be super useful. And we'd, we'd probably think about other ways we could accomplish this at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is a hang up a lot of people have, which is like, how much of my existing type code can I use under this mode? Can I just take my TypeScript file and can I just convert it over to a .js file and have it work? And some people take like a very absolutist view of like, if I can't do that, then it's a useless proposal, right? And I think that that's a little too extreme because there's just a lot of stuff that's just like out of scope for this proposal anyway. Like enums can be their own proposal, stuff like that. And also people have like written code without enums and things like that for a while. So it's not impossible, right? But I get where they're coming from, but there is like a decent amount where it will benefit so many people to not. So this is like, so why are we doing this, right? Like That was going to be my next question. So first, right, a lot of people are really growing distasteful of like needing a build step for everything just because they want like whatever syntax extension, right? Like for some people, it's like JSX. For other people, it's like the type annotation syntax and stuff like that. And Ryan and I probably every so often have to write a new JavaScript file, like like uh, something within 1 to 100 to 200 lines because like... There's no end to like offshoot script, like ad hoc scripts that you're going to write in your lifetime. Yeah. And like, you're not going to write that in TypeScript because like, you're not going to set up a whole build step for that because like, it's a script that is going to live in a repo that might or might not even have a package JSON anyway. So like, don't waste anyone's time. And so we use the JS doc type checking functionality that, that TypeScript supports. If you're ever interested in this, you should go read up about type checking in JavaScript files uh, with TypeScript. And it works pretty well, but it's really verbose, right? Like writing out that comment and knowing the, the correct syntax for JS doc, and I don't do it right like 90% of the time. Actually, this is really funny. When I wrote the blog post for the types as comments announcement that we were actually going to be making a stage zero proposal for this thing, I got the JS doc comment wrong, <laughs> like the syntax for that. <laughs> and like, it didn't matter because TypeScript just says like, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway, because I, I know what you meant. Other syntax in JS doc is just like not intuitive at all. And we could we could keep doing this, but it's it's just hard. It doesn't feel natural. 
And so like, how do you balance like the benefits of like, I, I am still able to run my code, but also I can get type checking and I don't need a build step at all, right? And like complexity for newer JavaScript users is like awful. I've been thinking recently about how do you get started with JavaScript these days? And like the easiest learning paths all seem to involve like, okay, install Vite or something like that is probably like the best bet. Right? <laughs> it sounds nuts. That's one aspect of it. And then like, if you go from like, how do I get started with JavaScript to like, how do I get started with TypeScript? That's another entire hill that you have to climb. So what we want to do is like, hey, look, you can still use TypeScript as like TS files. You can still use a build step. You can do all this stuff, but like, can we at least make the barrier to entry easier for people and make like a simple script file easy to write with types? Can we make like small websites approachable to write again, right? Like things like that, that, that carry a lot of weight and like can make like accidental coding easier again, that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm not trying to like go with yeah. like, it's a call for simpler times, but also, <laughs> right, it would be nice to make it easier for newcomers to, like, get into this stuff, too. I think that there's some value in that. And it would be really um, inconsiderate if we didn't at least, like, try to tackle the problem and see, what, like, how we could bring a solution there, too. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Sourcegraph. They recently launched a new feature called Code Insights. Now you can track what really matters to you and your team in your code base. Transform your code into a queryable database to create customizable visual dashboards in seconds. Here's how engineering teams are using Code Insights. They can track migrations, adoption, and deprecation across the code base. They can detect and track versions of languages or packages. They can ensure the removal of security vulnerabilities like Log4j. They can understand code by team, track code smells and health, and visualize configurations and services. Here's what the engineering manager at Prezi has to say about this new feature. Quote, as we've grown, so has a need to better track and communicate our progress and our goals across the engineering team and the broader company. With Code Insights, our data and migration tracking is accurate across our entire code base and our engineers and our managers can shift out of manual spreadsheets and spend more time working on code, end quote. The next step is to see how other teams are using this awesome feature. Head to about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. This link will be in the show notes again, about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. So one thing that's not really clear to me is, does this proposal actually propose some type syntax or is it just really more of a, a place, a bucket where where a type system can put in its own types or is it a little bit of both? It's closer to a little bit of both. So the the main thing there is there needs to be some set of like what we call like top level syntax, right? Where you need to be able to like, let's say, create an interface, create a type alias, stuff like that. And then you need to be able to like have a concept of like union types and, and let those exist. But then the carve outs, so to speak, are like basically like the parenthesization, right? Like putting things in brackets, putting things in curlies, like that's like the biggest carve out. And then there's like some top level carve outs where like, again, 
it's recognized by the engine as how you should parse it, but you basically don't do anything with it. So you just toss it away immediately. So there's some top level stuff that like at least both flow and type scripts have agreed upon that is like, okay, we both use these things. Definitely like use those in this proposal. <laughs> but again, it's kind of like, this is stuff that's very likely, I mean, I don't know how likely, but it, it can change at this point because it's still like a stage one proposal. And all that means is the committee wants to discuss the topic of the proposal, right? It doesn't mean that we've agreed on syntax. It doesn't agree, mean we've agreed on semantics. It means just like, yeah, we're kind of interested in talking about this, which is like probably a lot more... Staying where at stage one probably like sounds like it has more fanfare than like you might think, but it is actually a big deal in my opinion, just because like even within the committee, it was it was like a thing where we we basically boxed out like ninety minutes of discussion time and still needed to add another forty five minutes at the end of the meeting this past <laughs> this past plenary. So it was discussed to like and back basically <laughs> well from our perspective on the outside uh it was introduced as like a stage zero proposal and then it seemed like within a few weeks immediately went to stage one so it seemed like quick progress you know there's still a long ways yeah. to go but uh quick exciting progress on on the proposal yeah and this is like in a big part thanks to like so we have two co-champions um on the proposal uh robert palmer and romulo sindra from Bloomberg and Egalia, respectively. They've been extremely helpful in making sure that this thing, like, came together and, like, you know, they have a very good set of intuitions of, like, what do we need to have ready in terms of materials, in terms of, like, planning, in terms of all this stuff. They've been, like, extremely helpful for, like, making that come together because if it was just all on us, then we have so many things going on that it's just, like, we'd be stretched thin. And they've, like, they've just been... I just have to like give them a huge shout out. Thank you so much for that. And then also the other like community participants in the proposal too, right? Like the original author, Gil, Tayar, other people who have worked on it as well. Like, I mean, I can't do full acknowledgements right now, but like you can, you can check out the repo too on that. But yeah, like it wouldn't have come together. Like there's a lot of work happening way before the proposal went public. And then within that month, it was just like crunch time for us, <laughs> making sure it all came together. <laughs> and it was a lot, but I'm really glad we even got to stage one. Yeah, for sure. One question that I wanted to ask was about kind of the the perception by the community of this proposal. And I think I want to ask Chris, because before this call, we were talking about how I think you referred to me as a TypeScript zealot and you are using types through JS.comments. And so from your perspective, how, what do you think about this proposal? Well, I mean, I, I agree with what Daniel said. Like essentially JS doc types, it works pretty darn well. I'm not missing a whole lot, it feels like. Mm -hmm. But where it is difficult is it does get verbose. And there are probably some ways that one could get around this. And that would be essentially just like adding more tags to make importing types from somewhere else easier. But the verbosity is a little, a little hairy. And so it's something like what's proposing. If we can make it less verbose, if we can make it so, again, I don't need to add a build step. I don't need to convert 
JavaScript to TypeScript, and if all I need to do is add this, that, and the other thing at these certain points in the code and have the compiler understand that, that's great. And so it sounds cool to me. I was definitely like skeptical. I was like, why are you doing this? This thing already works. And yeah, it already works, but again, it's, it could be better. And it sounds like this is a solution to that. Yeah. We've seen a lot of support, right? A lot of excitement. And so like, we're really happy when people like tell us like, this is great. Or like, I've thought about it and, you know, I've been thinking about it more and I, come around just kind of like what Chris just said but um but you know we're, we're also just watching the sort of feedback that we get that is like hey I don't like this and we're trying to think about it very thoughtfully too right like we're not coming at this from like a very absolutist view of like this is the right way to do it we have some intuitions we hope that people agree with them in some ways and if not like we're willing to think about what are some of the downsides here what are some of the places that this falls over whatever. So like in these cases, you know, I hope that basically, first of all, like being on this call, Chris is not just like trying to, <laughs> trying to be nice about the proposal at all. <laughs> I don't think you do that. I'm sure you're, you're being honest, but I just, I think like from my perspective, the best thing that we can make comes from like taking people's criticisms and, and taking them to heart and thinking about them a lot. So like if you have legitimate criticism, first of all, if you can make it constructive, that makes our job's always easier. <laughs> but also, like, I think it's fair game, right? Like, if you have hunches, if you have thoughts, if you have feedback, like, proposal repo is a reasonable place to put that, too. So mm -hmm. I also think one thing you also touched on was, like, it would be nice if the JS doc stuff had more ways to do things that, like, kind of could do what TypeScript can do in a lot of cases. And that's also a difficult design space for us because... The JS doc support was JavaScript users need a way to like leverage all the smarts that we've put into the language service. Let's try to see what people are already doing with their JavaScript code and model that and make it work so that if you just decided to write comments and say that this thing is a string, then it just lights up and you get method completions and all that stuff. At some point, there was this really weird... I don't know, inflection point where like most of the JS doc being written was primarily for TypeScript or the language service in like VS or VS code, right? <laughs> Rather than like being something for the JS doc authoring tool, right? And so whenever people would ask us like, can you add this feature? We're like, well, other JS doc tools don't really like understand them and we and they'd be like well i don't care i don't use js doc for js doc like i use the js doc comment format for typescript and we're just like oh is this so like how much investment do we put in there how much do we like add new constructs that other tools are not going to understand it's like es lint's not going to understand that like it's this whole coordination problem there i had hoped to be able to pick up you know the es lint typescript project right and just run ESLint, and so I don't have to use TSC to do anything, right? But they don't support JavaScript. So it's like a whole other thing. Huh. It's like, oh, okay. It's like, no, you should convert to TypeScript. We will not support them. No, I'm like, okay, budge. Sorry, just asking. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it sounds like a, a, a kind of line to walk there. And certainly documentation is, is once you start talking about documentation, that's a big can of worms, too. But... I, for one, would love to see, like, uh, yeah, anyway, go ahead. Next, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, I was going to say that some of the, the criticisms I've seen are like, well, I think that out of the three ways that, that Ryan proposed that this could happen, like this seems like the best way in terms of like compatibility and backwards compatibility and still being completely optional. But if it does become allowed, then I can start writing everything that way and publishing everything that way. And you're going to have to read that whether you like it or not, because like if you're just perusing my code, that's what it's going to be, right? And so it is kind of thrust upon you in that sense, but I still think that the the benefits outweigh the negative effects of that. But that's my opinion. I did see a fair amount of criticism. Well, if it doesn't do runtime checking, it's pointless. People have been writing like type checked code for a decade now for their JavaScript, at least. I mean, it goes farther back if you go to... But anyway, like a lot of a lot of these systems do that and, and it's okay. And actually, I mean, you know, Python is another language that I know this is the JS party, not the Python party, but um, they have had type annotations for like in the language, like built into the language for at least as long as I think I've been on TypeScript at this point. I think a lot of people were probably like either apprehensive or upset about that decision early on. And like, no one really cares now. Like, I, like it's a net good thing at least. Right. Yeah. And right. we have a partner team that has like, that we meet with and they're called Pylance or Pyrite, depending on which part of the stack you're using. But like, it's a type checker with a really good language service that is powered by types. And it's like, I couldn't write Python without that thing. And it's so nice. And again, Python doesn't have any like runtime checks based on the things that you write by default. They have some, a little bit of what they call reification where like you can introspect things. We're not really doing that in our proposal, but, but it's ignored and it's fine as an authoring tool because people get the value of that. And there's like also seven type checkers or something like that for Python too. So clearly like there's demand for like taking these dynamic languages and having some checking so that to make, I mean, that's what a linter is, right? Making sure you're not making a mistake before you run your code. So like, this is not a controversial topic, I feel. And so a little bit of extra syntax for this thing that has like massive amounts of industry, like investment and resources is like, to me, obvious. But like, we have to kind of build up that consensus and, and make sure that like, we're addressing people's concerns and that sort of thing, right? So, And I think the, the diversification in the Python ecosystem is really interesting to think about because by way of analogy with, with linting, I think it's interesting to think about like, my code can interop with your code even though we might have different lint settings. Like, we don't have to agree on how our code is formatted for our code to interoperate with each other. And if we take type checking and push it to be a runtime feature, we're all going to have to agree. And that's like really, really a huge lift. So I, mm -hmm. I, I kind of like the idea that different projects can have different type checking that is configured according to their preferences and design goals. I take the criticism seriously, I think, because it's, I think the idea that you can write something that won't have semantics, it can be confusing. And it's going to depend on user education and how editors display these things and general just learning to so that people understand that like a type annotation is like we called it originally in the proposal a comment and serves the same role and is there for things that aren't the runtime i'm just thinking about ways that this could be abused like we have minifiers now well people will write var x colon meters per second like as three separate words <laughs> maybe right and yeah. it's gonna be like well <laughs> okay 
Yeah, we saw some creative trolling on Twitter for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like a, you know, how you, you minify the code and you can like rename variables and, and things like that. And it makes it harder to read. Well, you can just have something that just like randomly generates fake types. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but no one, right, again, like, it, it always comes back to the the original mental model, the original title of the proposal gives a good mental model there, which is, like, it's just comments. So, like, you could have always done the, right. the insane comment emit <laughs> thing as well. But, like, it is it is really funny to think about, like, we've known what type syntax is for, like, as long as we've been around, but, like, seeing people just write total nonsense in, a, in, in between curly braces, like... I think someone from on the Chrome team was like joking around, like in curly is like one fine summer day. I, you know, <laughs> the example I always give of like nonsense types and how it like, um, and like, does this feel good is like, you can write in curly braces, like kitty, 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 all on like the same line. And like, what does that mean? Like nothing. Right. But like, it, like to an engine, nothing, but like, how do you make sure that a type checker like tells you that, hey, this doesn't really seem to make any sense. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is like, it's going to be a challenge for like tooling, like type checkers to bridge the gap between like the carve out that engines make for the type checkers and whatever the type checkers actually decide to understand. Like you want your tools to under, like truly understand what your job, what JavaScript you're writing but you don't want to allow total nonsense, right? It would kind of be like a disservice, like the purpose of the proposal. And so like, there's going to be need to be a place where like, yeah, you're writing JavaScript, but like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to give you an error message. Right. And so how do we bridge that gap and, and tell users, right? Like yeah. if it's a type as a comment, do we highlight it as a, as green entirely? Or do you want to like actually get syntax highlighting that looks like comments? Right. It's kind of like this weird, set of trade-offs that we were going to have to, you know, that the onus is on us, right? <laughs> we're volunteering ourselves for this challenge. Mm -hmm. Speaking of tooling, is there a, a do you have like a, a, are you maintaining a proof of concept that understands the syntax? It's called types or no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but we don't have the, the full proof of concept, but because it's heavily inspired by TypeScript and flow, like, I would say, like, look to these to, like, get a sense of what it's going to understand, like, at the very least. And then, like, once it gets to stage two or something like that, that's probably when we would experiment, right? Because today, if you try to write a type in a JavaScript file, like, we're not going to do that until it actually has more support from the committee, right? So, so today we say you can't use a type in a JavaScript file, right? We're not going to try to, like, push the proposal by just building it into the tooling and allowing it in JS files you'd kind of find that to be a distasteful way to go about the proposal. But can totally imagine a Babel preset of something of some sort, right? I'm sure somebody has already made one. I think someone is actually working on it right now, which is always like a beautiful testament to like just the Babel core team and whatnot and the ecosystem around it. So it's really cool to see that. That really has me thinking though, like TypeScript always kind of supports JavaScript first and like leads the way on that. So if this became a thing, in JavaScript. And then like, honestly, I'm, I'm not super familiar with flow, but suppose that there was some kind of like flow type that was incompatible with TypeScript. And then I try and like bring that in or use it. Like what does TypeScript do in that sense? You know, that's the same problem as like the person writing like 
gibberish in the parentheses, right? It's this, uh-huh. it's kind of like languages with dialects with like a lot of overlap, right? Mm-hmm. At some point you just say, like, I don't know what that is, right? So like some of the time it'll work. <laughs> and then other times you'll be like, sorry, I have no idea what that means. And so basically we would give a hard stop on those in TypeScript probably, right? Like we would say, hey, don't know what this operator means. And we would probably expect Flow to do something similar if you use like a TypeScript-specific construct and then like run into that. What I imagine is we would have a mode that says like, so like not in TypeScript files, but in JavaScript files where you could say, allow the full set of gibberish that I want to write in type positions. <laughs> That's your escape hatch, right? Like, because otherwise you probably don't want to make a mistake, right? With JS doc, we can kind of give errors, but then... We often have to just sort of fall back on whatever nonsense you might have written in the comments too. <laughs> so it's tough. Yeah, that does sound difficult. Like if yeah, if you're trying to import so you have this JavaScript and one's using this type system and the other's using the other type system, well, they can't really talk to each other, right? Yeah. And you know, the way we get around that nowadays is people don't ship types in JavaScript, right? Yeah. They ship like declaration files or if you're using flow, whatever they use. I don't know. Right. If you wanted to support both, you could like find the subset and emit from the subset for each of those things. I mean, today they don't talk to each other either. Right. So. <laughs> right. But it's not an issue because, you know what I'm saying? It's just like if, if flow emits anything, it's just like JavaScript with comments in it, I imagine. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what they do anymore, to be honest, but yeah. But the point being that the JavaScript engine understands whatever flow emits. Likewise with TypeScript. Yeah, exactly. That's not going to change because the engine ignores it, but your type checker will mind. Yeah. That's going to be interesting to to figure out. Be an interesting ecosystem discussion. Yeah, let's wrap up here. But I did want to ask one more question before we go. And that is, could you foresee any follow-ons to this proposal, assuming it gets through that, I don't know, further this idea of type annotations in JavaScript? If this goes through, I think you'll see probably a gradual expansion of the grammar as we discover more things to sort of things that we want to have that wouldn't quite parse correctly. So that's one avenue. I think the the more interesting thing is if this doesn't go through, depending on how this goes, I think we might see, uh, I hope to see a revival of interest in like how to improve the dev tooling in JavaScript, because I'd love to see this proposal go through, but I'd also love to see a resurgence of interest in how can we make JavaScript more ergonomic, whether that's making it so that translation is required in just fewer scenarios instead of no scenarios. You know, something Daniel and I talked about is like, you know, pasting into the dev console in your browser. Like, should that strip type annotations? Like, I don't see a good case against it, you know? Exactly mm-hmm. how that works is a technical detail, and we can talk about that. If Node understands TypeScript in some capacity, should I have to run some tool before running Node on some file? Like, again, I don't see it. Once you kind of imagine this world, it's hard to be like, well, why don't we just have that world today just based on the tooling that's on our dev machines? Because ultimately, this is, this is a dev tool, right? It's a thing for the developer experience. We don't need this to load yourlocalnewspaper.com. That's not what it's for. It's for us. And probably if this happened, I think you would still see those types stripped from yourlocalnewspaper.com, assuming they've got good JS devs minifying their JavaScript. So when we're thinking about the pre-minified JavaScript world, which is where we all inhabit in this dev space, like let's just make it better one way or another, right? That's what I want to see. Very well said. So back to the, like more of the original question of like, would we see any new stuff getting added to JavaScript or getting proposed? 
when I look at the stuff that like has explicitly been dropped, they're mostly runtime features, right? And so namespaces is one. We don't really think we're going to ever try to add that. And I don't think anyone would want to try to add that either. There's a thing called a parameter property, which is like when you write um, when you write a class and then in the constructor, for each of the arguments or the parameters for the constructor, you can say like public or private or protected. And this is like mm-hmm. a construct that Tezure added early on where you automatically make a property with the same name and it's super convenient, but it has runtime. And then so like it's kind of fallen out of fashion for a lot of developers, but everyone loves them if you ever write a class. So I could see some form of that getting added to JavaScript. And then another one is enums. And enums actually got proposed two sessions ago, but the conclusion within TC39 was there's not enough motivation for them in a sense. And it's going to be really interesting to see how if this proposal makes it to stage four, then what does it mean for enums, right? Because like the whole motivation for enums is like you have a you have a set of values, right? Cool, I can have a set of values in JavaScript too, right? So what are they used for? It's like, oh, they're used for, for static tooling. And so the response to that was, okay, static tooling should add their own thing, like a, a js.comment or whatever, to better understand objects with a bunch of properties on them. And so like the motivation was not there. But once you say that type annotations are well-motivated enough, then it's not the craziest thing to talk about. Like, okay, an enum has some extra semantic meaning, or maybe like enums are a little bit different from what TypeScript proposes. And that's going to be an interesting world for us to bridge to. So I think that last one, enums, is the biggest question on a lot of people's minds, both from the TypeScript and JavaScript perspective on, on future language direction. Very cool. Well, let's end it there. Ryan, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today about this. I really look forward to watching this proposal go through the stages, hopefully all the way to four. And, uh, and then we can have a, a nice yeah. celebration day Absolutely. in JavaScript. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And thanks, Chris, for joining. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. We will see you next time. So what do you think about the TypeScript team's proposal? Let us know in the comments. Just pop open your show notes. Click the Discuss on Changelog News link and sound off. We'd love to hear from you. If this is your first time listening, subscribe now at jsparty.fm. That's also where you'll find collections of our most popular episodes, recommended ones from us, and a request form so you can let us know what you want to hear about on the pod. Thanks again to our awesome partners, Fastly for fronting everything we do with a super fast CDN, Breakmaster Cylinder for keeping our beats fresh and glitching, and thanks to you for listening. We appreciate you. Next up on the pod, Nick did a big rewrite of our JS Danger board game app from Dojo to React and X-State. So Faraz, K-Ball, and myself peppered questions at him while he told the tale. Oh, and we had an exceptionally good pro tip time as well. You don't want to miss it, so stay tuned. We'll drop it in your podcast feed next week.